0: Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review, and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message.
1: Several spots in the scripture as as we uh, go through this tonight, and Danny's prompted to get me stopped in case I forget. Uh... The book of Ruth is a very small book, only four chapters. An episode takes place in the life of some people during the time of the judges. The judges were in that period of time between approximately 1200 to 1020 B.C. In that in that period of time, a couple of thousand years, give or take. I should say a couple hundred years. That period of time between Joshua and Saul is is where we are. There was a famine in Bethlehem. This is not the first time there's been a famine there, and people have had to leave Bethlehem for one reason or other. You know that Joseph and Mary left Bethlehem and went down to Egypt for a period of time while they were waiting for things to settle down so that they could bring the baby back through to be our Savior. But a family left Bethlehem and went over to the country of Moab, which is just on the opposite side of the Dead Sea, the eastern side of the Dead Sea. The man's name was Elimelech. He had a wife named Naoma. He had two boys, Melon and Chilion. Here in uh, Moab they live. And we realize that the scripture tells us many times throughout the Old Testament that famine came upon the people because of their sinfulness. Maybe this is the reason for this famine. I don't think we really know that. But they believed that this was God's judgment upon their land and they left the land and went to Moab. Here in Moab, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. Now she's away from home in a foreign country. She has has her husband and two boys, and her husband dies. And after a period of time, these two boys marry two girls from the Moab country named Orpha and Ruth before long, we discover that both of these boys die. And she has no one left now. Here is a widow living in a foreign country. She has two boys who are now dead. They have no children. All she has left are two daughter-in-laws. And so she has heard now that the famine in her own land, has eased and decides to go home. But I want you to look at the tragedy in the woman's life. She is a widow. She's lost two sons. And she has to go back home. They start, all three of them together, and somewhere along the way, we will find it about the 14th verse of that first chapter, in that vicinity, Naomi tells the girls, Look, you can't go with me. You better go back home to your own people. Stay with them. Go back and worship the God that, that you have worshiped. And I'll go on back home alone. And one of the girls, Orpha, 14th verse, simply kissed her mother in law, said goodbye to her. Left. Ruth does not do that. Ruth makes one of the most beautiful statements that we have in all of the Bible, down in the 16th verse, that oftentimes is quoted in um, wedding services. I've never quite figured out how it fits a wedding service, except it is beautiful, and it does say, some of the things that we would anticipate that people getting married might say to each other, but I want you to notice what this girl says to her mother-in-law in the 16th verse. Ruth said, "'Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. But whither thou goest, I will go, and whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die.'" There will I be buried, and the Lord do so to me, and more also, if not, but death part thee in me. What a beautiful statement. But why did she make it? We don't know fully, but I want to suggest to you something. That Ruth saw that she had an obligation to her mother-in-law, who was a widow. Both of them are now widows. Being younger, to go with her mother-in-law and see to it that she was cared for for the rest of her life. An obligation that younger people certainly owe to older ones. If I had time, I'd preach a full sermon right here on that very obligation. We certainly have an obligation to the older people of our families to care for them. And I think very few things distress me more than to see some of the conditions of older people, and I see them... Uh, at least every week, of, of people who are living in absolute poverty without any concern and care at all, whose families have simply forsaken them, and they'll have little, if any, Christmas, little concerns and cares are being shown to them by the members of their family. But Ruth was not that type of individual, and so they went together. And when Ruth and Naomi got back to Bethlehem, the people began to look at Naomi and recognize her, although it had been many years since they'd seen her, and they began to say, is this Naomi? Why, it is Naomi. You can imagine the conversation that went on. But Naomi uh, has an attitude that uh, we see in verse 20 when she said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means lovely. Don't call me lovely. But call me Mara, which means bitter. Don't call me lovely. Call me bitter. For all the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, she said, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Well, there again is probably a sermon there that we can deal with, an attitude that perhaps Naomi should not have had. She felt somewhat bitter against God for doing this, not realizing that God had a plan. Had it not been for the episode in her family of her husband and her two boys dying, Ruth would never have gone back to Bethlehem. It was necessary that Ruth be in Bethlehem. for Ruth had to meet a man by the name of Boaz. This was in God's plan. So Boaz comes into the scene in chapter 2. Boaz is a wealthy member of Elimelech's family. And Ruth decides very quickly, apparently, that she would go out into the fields and glean, as was the, the custom in those days for widows and orphans, to go out and pick up all of the grain that fell after the, the harvesters and bring this back for their food. As a matter of fact, this was the law, that you had to leave a, a sum of the grain in the field in order that the poor might harvest for their goods. And so she goes out into the field, and verse 3 says that she just happens to go to the field that belonged to Boaz. And this, certainly we are not talking here about luck at all, but something happened here that caused her to be in the field of a man whom the Lord wanted her to meet. I think paths due Cross, and here is a definite example of it. She just happened to light on that part of the field that belonged to Boaz. Not luck at all. This is God's hand in the picture. And Boaz notices her out there and inquires about her. Who is this girl I see here, leaning in the field, following after his harvesters? And somebody said, oh, that's that little, little girl from, from across the lake there, from Moab, who has come with, with Naomi. And he begins to pay attention to her a little bit, and uh, he points out to her in verse 11 that she that he is well aware of what she has done unto her mother-in-law, and it is this verse that leads me to believe that Ruth came with Naomi, be it willing to give up everything that she possibly could have had in life with a family of her own. and. Her own, her own people, and even marriage, in order that she might take care of her mother-in-law. And verse 12 is a beautiful verse, and I think it certainly is something that the Lord does when this is the desire of Boaz with regard to the way that she had treated her mother-in-law. The Lord will recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust under whose wings thou art come to trust. Look, Listen to those beautiful words. Naoma was now a believer in God. She had been a pagan, but she has come to trust in Jehovah and now has brought herself under his wings. And Boaz is saying, He is going to bless you for that which you have done. Well, we'll go on to verse 3. It's the harvest time, and Boaz is on the threshing floor. The threshing floors in that day were built in a recess, or sometimes actually underground, and they would toss up the, the wheat or or uh, the barley or whatever was into the air so that the wind would blow the chaff away and the green would fall down to the floor. And Boaz, Neoma knew, was going to spend the night. Now, Neoma is a matchmaker. She wants Ruth to get acquainted with Boaz. Mother-in-laws aren't very good matchmakers, but Neoma is a pretty good one. Uh, she's looking for another husband for her daughter-in-law. And she tells her to go out during the night, secretly to the, to the threshing floor, and hide herself and watch where Boaz lays down. And after it's dark and everybody's quiet and everybody's eaten and drunk, and they are asleep, that she's to go over and lay down at the feet of Boaz. This was a custom, apparently, in that day. And she's to uncover his feet. Uncover his feet is a, is a strange thing, but uh, some of the scholars seem to think that this was in order to get him awake, maybe in the middle of the night when his feet got cold out underneath the blanket. But she uncovered them. There may be some other reasons for that as well. And she said, Naomi said, You go and do that in verse 4, and he will tell you what you should do. Now, this sounds all right, in that Naomi is, or that Ruth is going to go and lay at the feet of Boaz, and perhaps Boaz is going to suggest to Ruth, hey, I'm falling in love with you, how about getting married? But this isn't just exactly the way it happened. Over in the ninth verse, when Boaz awakens, and in the dark doesn't know who is there at his feet, and says, who are you? And she says, I'm Ruth thy handmaiden, but I want you to notice what she says says next. She says, spread therefore thy skirt over thy handmaiden. Now you can get some connotations here, but what she was saying is, Boaz, would you marry me? You thought just women today did such things, didn't you? I mean, she just blurted out, she didn't wait for Boaz to ask, She blurted out and said to Boaz, and that's what it means, would you put your skirt over me, that is, put me under your protection, would you marry me? And verse 11 says, I will do to thee what you have requested. However, verse 12, there is some kinsman that's closer to me, to you than me. You remember that in those days, if a man died, the near kinsman was to marry that woman and raise children in the name of her original husband. If a brother died, a brother was to take her to wife and raise children in the name of his brother. There were no brothers involved here, so the nearest kinsman would do it. Ruth has said to Boaz, would you marry me, would you do for me, because I have no husband, would you take that position? And Boaz said, I'd love to. I really want to, but there's somebody nearer than me whose obligation it is first. Verse 16, Naomi comes back, or Ruth comes back home to Naomi, and I wish we had time to get all the stuff in between, but we don't tonight. She asks a very strange question. Now, she says, who art thou, my daughter? Now, she knew who she was. She was Ruth. She's been living with her all those years. Why ask a question like that? The answer was, have you come back to me simply as my daughter-in-law, or have you come back to me as the one betrothed to Boaz? Are you engaged, or did he reject you? Now, can you imagine two women talking about all this? Verse 18. Naomi says, sit still, Ruth. In other words, Ruth was jumping around so excited, she was relating all this stuff that took place how that she didn't wait for Boaz to do something. She said, I actually asked him to marry me. And he, said, he said he'd said he like to, but there's somebody else who's got the obligation first. And oh my goodness, suppose I have to marry him because Boaz can't do it because somebody else is near. You see, this is the type of conversation that took place to the point that Ruth had to tell her, sit still. Wait and see how the matter falls out. Don't get... Overly anxious about it. So he, she said, and Naomi said, I know Boaz well enough to know that he's not going to let the situation lie. He'll take care of it. Down in chapter 4, verse 2, Boaz begins to work. The very next morning, he goes into town and sits in the gate of the city and waits for this guy who is near of kin, whose name we don't know, to come into town. And when he came through the gate, Boaz hailed him and said, Hey, fella, come here, I want to talk with you. And he uh, had already arranged for ten elders of the city to meet with him. And they set together the ten elders and the two guys who had a problem. And Boaz said, uh, beginning in the third verse, Remember that there was a woman named Naoma from our, from our land, from our city, who went to Moab, and she's come back. She was the wife of our brother Elimelech, not meaning that he was literally brother, but of the same family. All right. Now, she says, he says to this uh, nearer kinsman, she has some land that needs to be redeemed. It's your obligation to buy that land from her. Take that obligation. Well, immediately in the latter portion of the fourth verse, the nearer kinsman said, I will redeem it. I'll buy it. I'll fulfill my obligation to take care of, of the property that belongs to now to Naoma. Now there's a little bit, he's a little sneaky here. Only after he said, uh, Boaz let him say, I'll buy it, did Boaz advise him. but well, I tell you, there's another little side crinkle here. You see, Naomi has a daughter-in-law. You've got to take her with the land. Now, this raises a question, and the guy begins to backpedal. He didn't want another wife, and his reasons were stated in verse 6. He said that lest I mar mine own inheritance. What he really was saying was, if I marry that girl, I'm obligated to have children by her in order to raise children to her husband, and they would share in my inheritance, and my children would get less of an inheritance than they would get now. And so he, I, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. Tell you what, Boaz, you go ahead and do it. I'll, I'll give up my rights. I want you to notice the interesting way that that the decision was made in verse 7. This is what Boaz wanted. Boaz wanted to marry the girl. He was willing to pay for the property, but he had to give the man the right to do it. Now, in order to seal the deal, they had ten people witnessing it, but the thing that took place was uh, that a man would pull off his shoe and give it to the person that he was going to have to deal with. Throw off his shoe. You see, the power of the feet is great. When Moses stood at the burning bush, God said to him, Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. What was he saying? Moses, I am the authority. Take off your shoes in recognition of this is the power. The person who steps on you and I say at times don't you step foot on my property meaning you're not going to have any authority over me or mine. And that's exactly what was happening here. So to give the shoe was a symbol of submission that somebody else had the authority. So it's a a symbol of power, a symbol of dominion, and so the man gave it up. All right. He said, you are witnesses now, he said in verse 9, to all these ten men, Boaz said, you're witnesses now that I have bought all that was in the that belonged to his two boys from the hand of Naomi. They got married. They had a child. Down verse 17, fourth chapter. It's very interesting. The child's name was Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. And if you go over into Matthew chapter 1, you can find the whole list. And so and so we get. So and so all the way down until we get to the end of the line. You want to turn there, and we'll close with this, at uh, in Matthew chapter 1, I want you to notice uh, a part of the line. Look look at verse 5 of Matthew 1. And Salmon begat Boaz, that is Boaz, this is B-O-O-Z, whereas in Ruth it's B-O-A-Z, of Rechab, or A-C-H-A-B, that's Ruth. And Boaz begat Obed of Of Ruth and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon. And then you go all the way down the line until you get to chapter 6, verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Accident? No, no accident. Luck? None at all. God? Had to bring about a condition whereby a girl with the name of Ruth in the country of Moab got to Bethlehem to meet Boaz, to be married, to have a child, who would be down the line, the lineage to David and on down to Jesus Christ. It was necessary. God's mind that Ruth be one of the great, great, great grandmothers of our Savior, a foreigner, a worshipper of some other gods for a time, who became a believer in Jehovah, who was the great person who took care of her mother-in-law, who married a man by asking him to do it. God set in motion that one man would reject his rights in order to give Boaz the right to be the husband of Ruth, who would be a great-great-granddaddy in human terms through Joseph, my Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving us such a dynamic person, the ancestry of our Savior, named Ruth, who became one, the ancestry of our Savior. You brought people together because you needed to produce a certain type person who you already knew. Lord, as we think in this Christmas season of the coming of the Son of God to this world, may we remember it was not by accident that he was born of a virgin in a manger, nor by accident that he went to the cross, nor accident that he arose from the grave because it was all in your plan. Because you saw me We saw each person in this congregation and knew that we needed to be saved. And it could only be done by one person, your own son, incarnate. Thank you, Lord, for bringing him into the world because we needed to be saved. In Christ's name we pray.